So how many of you have had the opportunity to custom design your own home? Quite a few of you. It's a lot of fun, isn't it? And also a lot of challenge, I understand. My daughter is preparing to do that, and she's getting a little help from my wife, Nancy, who's done it before as well. Something very meaningful and rewarding, Bill, to make the house according to your lifestyle and what's important to you. Well, when I was doing some re sermon research a while back, I came across an article from a young couple. Uh, she was a blogger, and she was commenting that they were building their first home, and they were building it a custom-made home. And she was a person of faith and wanted to do something that would help bring glory to God and, and, and suggest his spirit be a part of the living that would take place in that home. So she came up with the idea of finding scriptures in the Bible that fit each particular living space in the home. And then she took the time to use a permanent marker and write on door frames and window frames, sometimes on the floor, all that would be covered over eventually, but they would know that those scriptures were there and they prayed over them as they were being done. They even wrote their marriage vows in the master bedroom. Well, I thought that was a pretty cool idea. And it made me think of Young families we have in our congregation now, some are very new, and as I see the challenges you're experiencing trying to build a home life the way you want it, to design it the way you intend it to be, maybe think of also grandparents who have come and they're living near their children and grandchildren so they can be a part of their lives, and also I often hear them talk about that spiritual heritage that they're trying to help instill in those children. And the challenge is that not every one of us have the chance to build our own home. And if so, your home's probably already built. You aren't going to tear the walls down and write the scriptures there. So I hope my dream is, is that with this series, we can embed these scriptures in your hearts and minds to write them on your hearts so when you enter those spaces, they'll come to mind. Maybe some of you will even choose to use some of your decorative skills and make them a part of your home decor. Hopefully this passage is will speak to you. So let's begin with our first passage as we're focusing today on our kitchen and dining area. We have uh, Caden Davis is going to come up and, and read our scripture today. Today's scripture is from Psalms 34, verse 8. Taste and see how good the Lord is. The one who takes refuge in him is truly happy. Yeah, you had a tough one there, didn't you, David? <laughs> but the requirement's fulfilled, right, Aaron? Yes, he's fulfilled his confirmation requirement. I like this passage because it, it shares how often you find in the Bible the metaphor of tasting and eating and dying. It shows up so much. I encourage you to Google or, or do a word search in your Bibles of these key words, banquet, dining, eat, taste, they show up everywhere. And they tell us something about God. They suggest to us that God is not some abstract concept out there, not just an idea, but God is someone to be experienced, to be tasted, to be enjoyed, a presence to be there. It's interesting, you look in the Gospels, someone has suggested Jesus literally eats his way through the Gospels. Think about how much teaching takes place around a meal with Jesus. In the Gospel of Luke alone, there are ten meal scenes. 
And if you look at the book of Revelation, you see that heaven is described as a wedding banquet that we enjoy for eternity. So food is very important in our faith. It's certainly a key part of our scripture. So it's good for us to think about what do we do with our mealtimes? How are we using them to instill faith in our family? How are we using that time to honor God and also let God work his way into our lives? And it made me think of a few experiences that I had. I, I remember my father, he had a, a meal blessing that he recited every time we sat down together. He said it so quickly that to this day we've not been able to recreate that, that, that prayer. Literally, when dad passed away, I asked my brother, I asked my sister, I even went to my dad's uh, sister and asked if they could remember. We could get pieces of it, but we couldn't put it all together. He said it so fast. I don't think that was too effective. I think about my grandmother, my grandma Stone. We lived in Colorado. She was a faithful and strict Methodist. Matter of fact, she used to give me a hard time about my sideburns being too big when I was growing up. She did not like facial hair whatsoever. She literally threatened to come in at night and shave them off while I was asleep. She had the practice of reading the upper room every morning when we gathered for breakfast, and she would read the whole thing. So I've still got this mental block about the upper room because I never associate fun and Christianity because of my grandma Stone. But I think about some friends that we had that we went to college together, and they started their family first. And I remember visiting their home after they'd had their child. It was just getting old enough to at least hear the words of that mealtime prayer. And they'd come up with this fun little thing and it inspired us to come up with our own. So when we started our family, we worked out a little bit, experimented, and we came up with this prayer that we recited every time we gathered together. May the hands around this table be instruments of God's love. Yay, God. And we always clapped every time we said, yay, God. And what a joy it was for me when I was on vacation last week, went down to Nashville to see my daughter, Sasha, and... She had fixed a little simple meal. We gathered around just the three of us. They're the newlyweds in our family. And she started saying, may the hands around this table be instruments of God's love. Yay, God. And we clapped. Still claps. So think about what rituals do you have? It's such a, a rich time of learning in that mealtime. Utilize that in, in positive ways, not to impose God, but to make space for God to be a part of your family's life. And then our next scripture comes out of Deuteronomy. It says, he humbled you by making you hungry and then feeding you the manna. I'll let you read the rest on your own. But let me share the background to that, that story. I, I believe this scripture and the next one that I'll share, it, certainly Jesus had this one in mind when he came up with the Lord's Prayer. And the background to it is that the Israelites had been in Egypt. They were enslaved. God set them free. They're in the wilderness, the desert wilderness, and food is scarce. And they're finding that, that they're hungry, and they go complaining to God. And so God somehow provides this manna that when the dew would raise from the previous night, they'd find this, this light, frosty substance on plants on the ground. It looked like coriander seed, and it tasted had the taste of honey on wafers, and it fed them. But here's the thing about that food. 
it only lasted for one day. And every attempt to try to store it, to hold things reserved, were impossible. Because God wanted them to learn to trust him each and every day. To know that they would be provided just enough to make sure that their needs were met. And I'm sure that God had in mind not just their food. He was trying to teach them how life should be with all things. That God will provide us what we need. And that's not easy for us human beings, is it? We're used to having, we're so far removed from our food sources, from our food production, that we just trust that it will always be there. We've got box stores and grocery stores that are open 24 hours a day. We can go anytime, day or night. Because the magic of global shipping, we can have almost our favorite foods year-round. doesn't matter what time of the year it is. And so we lose the sense of our dependence upon God. We lose the sense, and it's easy to create this illusion that we don't need God. So the mealtime's a great chance to help educate and communicate that God is there to meet our daily need. It's interesting, I think this passage is also the one that's used by Jesus when he went through the temptations, and when he was tempted by the devil, the devil suggested that he make his own food, what did he say? Man does not live by bread alone. All that background, I think, is a part of this passage that probably sounds a little familiar to you. Give us the bread we need for today, which is part of that Lord's Prayer. Give us this day our daily bread. Learning to teach our children that everything comes from God. How are we teaching them to trust in God for all things? How are we letting our children be involved in that meal preparation so we can talk through where that food comes from and that somebody prepared it? Maybe been across the other side of the world, but to put them back in touch with God's creation and how dependent we truly are on it. And to learn that bread is more than the food that we get for our daily sustenance. We need God for everything in our lives. There's a story that came out of Korea after their civil war. And in South Korea, many of the helping agencies came in. They met a lot of the human need, but there were many orphans left over. They found that they struggled, and they especially struggled at night. Even though they were being fed three good meals, their needs were being met, they had a safe place, they often struggled. And when they talked to the children, they discovered that they had lived without food for so long that they just couldn't trust it would be there the next day. So somebody came up with the idea turn off a piece of bread. And as the kids went to bed at night, they'd put it in their hand, not to eat, but just to hold on to, to give them the assurance that the next day there would be food. And it worked. It worked for them. And they calmed down. What a great lesson that this bread that God provides for us, it's, it's certainly part of the symbolism of the Holy Communion. As we take that bread, his body, his life is there for us to meet all of our needs. What are we doing that teaches our children not to worry, to trust in God each day, one day at a time? And then the next scripture. Every day they met together in the temple and ate in their homes. They shared food with gladness and simplicity. This comes from a section of the book of Acts. It's right after Pentecost. It's right after their experience of the Holy Spirit. And that Spirit has so infused them 
the witness of the resurrection, so much a part of their hope and life that they are living life in a very different way. They're sharing all that they have. The food is there. They're meeting together every day for meals, not just on their Sabbath day. And as they share that meal, there's a bond. We know the early church that this common meal was a key part of the spread of the gospel throughout the Roman Empire. I'm convinced that that, that meal, that sense of community they created because of that mealtime was a central piece. It was part of why they grew so fast. I've been a part of uh, several Bible studies in my ministry through my life. Also been a part of small groups or what we call growth groups here. And typically the difference, they both often share information, but one focuses more on community life and and that meal is a critical part of that because food has a way of bonding. Food fuels conversation. And if you do it often enough, pretty soon there becomes that, that sense of togetherness that you are willing to be vulnerable and bear your soul, to confess your sins with one another. And that's often where tremendous spiritual growth takes place. Food does have the power to bond. And that's why it's so important that we make sure that we protect that time. It is a sacred time. It's a time in which we come together as families and therefore need to make sure that we make that time possible. Of course, I know that's not easy these days, is it? That's why I like this commercial I'd like to show you. Ah, dinner. Throughout history, the one meal when we come together, break bread, share our day and connect as a family and connect as a family just have one second voice guy hmm? hey i paused it bam family time so how is everyone find your awesome with xfinity xfi and change the way you wi-fi i'm not particularly enamored with xfinity but i like that commercial I love how it communicates this challenge, the struggle of families these days. And it's not just our digital devices causing it, it's everything. All the demands it places upon us, it is hard to protect that family time and come together as often as we should. But I also like it because it communicates we have the power and the resources to take charge of our families if we really want to. We can say no to those things that get in the way of what God wants in our lives, in our families' lives. So I encourage you to think carefully about what things you need to have so that God is honored and experienced in our lives, especially in the kitchen and the dining area. And then our last scripture from Hebrews. Don't neglect to open up your homes to guests because by doing this, some have been hosts to angels without knowing it. This reflects the Middle Eastern concept of hospitality that is actually still there to this day, but it was especially prevalent in biblical times. And the writer of Hebrews is not just speaking of his time, but he's recalling a very particular experience that shows up in the book of Genesis. Talks about Abraham. Abraham was in his nomadic tent, and he sees three strangers walk by. Now the scripture says the Lord appeared to him. He didn't know it at the time, but that's how God was coming to him. And he runs out to them and offers them some water. He invites them to stay for dinner. He instructs Sarah to bake some bread, and he goes and instructs a calf to be slaughtered to be fed for the evening meal. 
he pulls all the stops with these three strangers that he does not even know. And as they are dining together, they see Sarah and they predict, even though she's beyond the age of childbearing, that she will have a child within the next year. And Sarah in the background laughs as she overhears that statement. But their prophecy came true. This hospitality was rewarded. Now I know we live in a time where we see our homes more as a refuge, as a place to get away from all that the world puts upon us. Uh, we, we used to have front porches on our homes, did we not? Where people connected with one another and talked to the neighbors as they walked by and now we spend a lot of money on our back patios just to get away from everything. And I know that probably isn't going to change. I know we connect in different ways today, but I think the challenge that the, reader, the writer of Hebrews is trying to share with us is that our homes are a blessing. They are a resource to share the good news and to communicate to our children that they, they don't live in isolation. Our family is not just a bubble, but we are connected to this world, to this community the people of God, and therefore we should use our home as a place of hospitality. So ask yourself, what can we do to better connect with one another? Maybe invite your neighbors over for dinner, or become a part of a block party, or ask yourself, is, is this a place where our children feel comfortable inviting their friends to and being a part of? It can be quite a blessing for someone. When I was growing up, we lived out in the country, four miles out on Six Points Road, away from Plainfield. Not too many people lived our direction. So participating in after-school activities was sometimes a challenge for me. My dad's rotating work schedule, my mother's emotional states up and down. I had to rely on other people if I was going to be involved. And I remember my eighth grade basketball team was a particular challenge because our practices were not immediately after school, but they were like 5 or 5.30. So if I went home after school on the bus, I might not have a way to get back to that practice. Well, I worked it out the first few days, and somehow word got around, and pretty soon, Randy Reel told me to come with him after school to his house that was just like a couple blocks from the school. Fed me a sandwich. His dad took us to the practice. I don't know how all that came about. His dad was also an air traffic controller, so maybe... He understood my situation, but that became an everyday habit. Every time we had a late practice, I went to Randy Reel's house. We ate a sandwich together, did a little bit of homework, and then went on to basketball practice. What a gift that was to this eighth grader who would not have been a part of that sports team, would not have been a part of the fun that that, that sense of belonging created, and also it got me out of a house that sometimes wasn't the best place to be. What a gift our homes can be. So I pray that you'll see that as a resource for your family, that you can be a blessing not just for yourselves but for others, that you'll be blessed so that you can be a blessing to others. Let us pray. Lord, we thank you for the gift of our homes. We ask that you help us to make it a place where you are present in every way possible, where you are tasted, where you are experienced, where you are known. We place these into your hands and trust in your care and through your spirit. Amen.